Good morning, everybody. So good to see everyone today. Hope you're having a fantastic day. The sun is out. So we have, in Eugene, we have nothing to complain about if the sun is out. Everything is looking better. You know, uh, really quick before we dive into the message, I just felt hatty, right? I felt kind of a word for you today. So incredible that you were water baptized. And during worship, I just felt um, God put on my heart, you know, there's in the Bible, there's Mary and Martha and their sisters. And Mary, she is actually sitting at the feet of Jesus, and she's learning from him. And this is really significant, because people would sit at the feet of um, teachers, of rabbis, and but women usually weren't allowed to sit at their feet. And Jesus uh, allowed Mary, he didn't care what gender you were. Everyone, that was something that Jesus was doing, is he was breaking down those those roles as he was saying, no, anyone can come and learn from Jesus. And I just really felt in you that you have this Mary spirit in you to sit at the feet of Jesus. And I just wanted to encourage you that that is where everything will come out of your life, is spending that time just sitting at the feet of Jesus, letting him teach you, let, letting, let, letting yourself get to know him, pouring your heart on him, pouring your love and your affection on him. And so I just want to pray for Hattie right now. Jesus, we just pray for Hattie, God. We pray that she will have a heart that burns for you, God, that today, on this day, on the day of her water baptism, Lord, that you will light a fire in her heart, a new love for you that burns for you, God, that she will learn from you and know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Well, we are in this series, Minimal, and um, you know, I don't know if Pastor Jake is even in here. Are you in here? He's, he's ditching. He's ditching. He, he, spoke, he spoke in first service. And, you know, he, we're, three, we're doing three services, if you hadn't noticed. And so we're, we're doing this thing where we are team teaching. And so we are using each other's notes or we're collaborating and we're um, writing the notes together, whoever is speaking. And so I just had to, you know, throw him under the bus because this, this, this series is called Minimal. And the notes are, are anything but... I was like, this is not minimal. This is maximalism. He was probably like, it's 2024. Maximalism is back, right? But we're in this series on minimal. It's about making space in our lives so we can be who God made us to be and do what God wants us to do. You know, as we saw in the bumper video, our lives are busy. There's always stuff going on. Yesterday, Saturday, all of our kids, they're in that like middle grade, elementary and and middle school kind of ages. And so there's just activities all day long. And so Jake and I, as the parents, we're tag teaming, dropping people off, taking people to things, picking up what they need, right? That's that's our Saturday now. Some of you parents who have kids at that age, you're like, "Mm mm-hmm. And those of you with babies, you're like, what? I thought it was gonna get easier. It does, because they can buckle themselves. So that's incredible. And hopefully there's no more diapers, but you never know about that. But you know, our lives are busy. And so what this series is about is about actually getting rid of some stuff in order to make sure in your life you're doing what actually matters. And today what we're talking about is making space in your life for relationship. Making space in your life for relationship. 
We were literally made for relationship. You were created for relationship with God and with other people. We live in this hyper-individualistic society here, especially in the United States, you know, where we are connected online more than we've ever been connected, but we're disconnected personally than we've ever been before. In 2023, a report from the Surgeon General came out that said that loneliness is as deadly as smoking. Social isolation's effects on mortality are equivalent to smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. Any of you guys who have quit smoking are like, why did I do it? <laughs> why did I go through it, right? No, I'm just teasing. Social, social isolation, an objective measure of lacking connection to family, friends, and community, and loneliness, a subjective measure of feeling disconnected, contribute to a person having a higher risk of heart disease, stroke, anxiety, depression, dementia, and make people more susceptible to infectious diseases. This is the Surgeon General last year who said this, that we're at this epidemic time where loneliness is killing people and that they actually put out this whole thing on how everybody needs to stop being so lonely, that we needed to have relationship with others. This is so fascinating to me that we can actually get a disease from not being connected relationally with other people. That makes me know there is a God and that he created us. And that what he says in his word is true. Because God says this to us. He says you are made on purpose for purpose. That you aren't just something that came out of a primordial ooze, right? Why would something that came out of a primordial ooze need relationship with other people so they didn't get sick? No, it shows me that God created me for relationship with him and for relationship with other people. We need a revolution of relationship, a deep commitment to make space in our lives for relationship with others. Relationship is so powerful. You know, there's a, a, a pastor, Chris Hodges, and he said, uh, you know, what, I want everyone to name the last five sermons that impacted their life. This is the preacher saying this, right? And so we think, and we think, okay, what are the last five sermons? Can I even remember? I went to first service. Do I even remember that sermon, right? And then, and then Chris Hodges says, I can't remember the last five sermons, and I preached them. But he says, but can you think of five people who changed your life? And if we make it even easier, right now in your head, think of two people that changed your life. We can do it really quickly. Maybe it's a coach, it's a parent, it's a grandparent, it's a neighbor, it's a teacher, somebody who changed your life. Why is this? Because relationship is discipleship. If you've been through our next track, then you've heard uh, Pastor Nikki or me tell this to you. Relationship is discipleship. We can be changed by the words that we hear, but we're mostly changed by the relationships that we have with people. Being in relationship with others changes us. It's powerful. Jesus, in the Bible, he, uh, uh, someone comes up to him and they say, what's the greatest commandment? At this time, they have all of these commandments. They have all these rules. They have the 10 commandments, and then they have lots of extras. And so he's coming and he's saying, Jesus, you know, great teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answers him in Matthew 22, 34 through 40. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. You guys, this is not even that easy. 
You're like, that was the first one? That's not even that easy. Let's think about that. You just, all you have to do, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. You know, I don't know how you woke up this morning, but I woke up this morning and I don't think I was loving God with my whole heart, mind, and soul. Maybe I loved him with my mind a little bit, right? But was I really loving him with my whole heart, my whole mind, my whole soul? But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, and the second is equally important. This is just as important as the first one. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. What Jesus is saying is that if you can get these two things, if you do both of these two things, you'll be able to fulfill every other commandment there is. If you love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and you love your neighbor as you love yourself. Think about all of the problems that we have in our world today. If we just simply loved each other as much as we loved ourselves, we wouldn't have those. There wouldn't be cruelty. There wouldn't be um, taking advantage of other people. There wouldn't be, uh, you know, hurting other people. All of these things, those would be solved because we were loving God and we were loving others. Jesus is saying here, it's about relationship vertically with God. And it's about relationship horizontally with each other. C.S. Lewis once remarked, there are two things that you can't do alone. You can't be, you can't be married and you can't be a Christian. And this is a pervasive lie in, in the Christian world that you can be a Christian alone, that you can just, just watch from your home, you know, on, in your living room week after week and not really have any friends, not really have any community. But C.S. Lewis is saying, no, it's impossible. You can't be a Christian alone. In fact, the way that we really know that you are growing in your relationship with Jesus is how you treat other people. Isn't that a bummer? It would be a lot better if it could just be some boxes I could check. Right? You know, if you brush your teeth every day, you are growing in your relationship with God. Yes, I did it. Right? No, unfortunately, it's how we treat each other. That's how we know if we're really growing closer to Jesus every day. The French poet known as Stendhal, this is Jake's quote, I don't even know how to pronounce this person's name, said, one can acquire everything in solitude except character. Man, I can read a lot of books, I can get a lot of knowledge, but it doesn't mean anything until I'm around someone else and how I treat them. You see, it's, it's actually in relationship that we realize kind of how bad we really are. If, if you're married, you're like, I know, right? It's once you get married and you realize, I kind of stink and you kind of stink. We both stink. Too bad we've already made this lifelong commitment, right? But that's, that's how we really find out who we really are is in relationship with other people. That is the mission of Joy Church, that we would love God, that we would love people, and that we would make disciples. That we would love God, that we would love people, that we would make disciples. Relationship with God and with other people is huge here. We talk about it all the time. We talk about joy groups all the time. We talk about discipling someone all the time. Why? Because that is what it's all about. Loving God, loving others, and making disciples. It's our core value of Joy Church that we would be a church of authentic relationships. Relationship is important. When we're gonna, we, a lot of times we hear this and we think about me. Yes, how can uh, relationships help me? But today we're gonna kind of turn it around and maybe you're sitting in this room and you say, I don't need any relationships. Well, what relationships at Joy Church need you? 
So it's not only about you needing relationships, but it's about everybody at Joy Church actually needing you. We need you. We need what you bring to the table. We need your perspective. We need your thoughts. We need even your flaws, heaven forbid, right? We need it. We need each other. And so today is a great invitation that someone needs you. We have an incredible acronym for you guys today. This is uh, clue number two that Bethany did not write these notes, that there's an acronym in them. But our acronym for today that we need you, four keys to living in relationship, and it spells the word team. It's just, I can't help but smile. It's just, it's so cheesy, but some of you love it, huh? Some of you guys are like, it's perfect, it's perfect. All right, team, who are our four keys to living in relationship, team. The T stands for transparency. Who sees through you? Who sees through you? Who sees who you really are? In Genesis 3, uh, this is Adam and Eve when they're in the garden and the first time that they sin, what do they do? They hide and they cover themselves. They cover themselves with um, animal skin. What is going on? It's the first time that there's really shame. They're trying to hide what they've done. And that is our human condition. We all want to hide. We all want to show that we're not really who we are. We don't want to be transparent with other people. What are the fig leaves? That's what uh, Adam and Eve's Eve used to cover themselves. What are the fig leaves you use in your life? Maybe your fig leaves are making sure that you always look perfect. Maybe your fig leaves are always helping everybody else so that it seems like you don't need any help yourself. Maybe your fig leaves are being everything everybody around you wants you to be. Maybe your fig leaves are just knowing a lot. If I know everything, then I'll never make a mistake. Or maybe your fig leaves are thinking through every scenario there's out there. That way you're always prepared. Or maybe your fig leaves are just running away. <laughs> That's probably mine. Just running away from your situation, distracting yourself, you know, just pretending like there isn't really a problem. We all have things that we want to cover ourselves up with. But the most important part, or one of the most important parts about being in relationship is transparency. That you would be a person who would be willing to be transparent. Court painter, there was a court painter who was commissioned to paint a portrait of Oliver Cromwell. And Oliver Cromwell, his face was actually covered in warts. And so this court painter, right, this is like taking a photograph back then, but they're, you know, it's a lot longer and you have to be a lot more still. So he's going to paint him. And the, the court painter thought, I'll just remove all of the warts so he looks better. And so that's what he did. This would be like if, if you got your wedding photos back and you were photoshopped. You know, now I have blonde hair. Oh, thank you. <laughs> right? So they, he changed what Oliver Cromwell looked like. And so when he showed the painting so proud of it to Oliver Cromwell, he said, take it away and repaint me, warts and all. What was he saying? The warts are who I am. The warts are part of me. It doesn't even look like me. And this is such a significant part about transparency in our lives. All of us have warts. Isn't that a bummer? All of us have flaws. All of us have things in our life that we uh, would rather other people not know. But did you know those things in your life that God has got you through, that God has helped you through, are the things that are gonna help someone else? That we actually in groups, we actually in relationship, I need to know that you struggled in your marriage and how you got through it so that I can have that and hold on to that if I'm struggling in my marriage. I need to know what struggles you had with your kids so it helps me pastor my kids. Does that make sense to you? I need to know if you have struggled with sickness. I need to know that so I know how to have faith when I have sickness. We need each other, warts and all. And so it's every single one of us being brave enough 
to be transparent with each other, to be brave enough to say, this is my warts, this is what I look like. And you know what? God is bringing me through it. God is getting me through it. First John, First John 1, 5 through 9 says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live in the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If we bring everything to the light, just as he is in the light, then we can have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Secrecy brings shame. And Jesus never brings shame on us. But that is our natural inclination, is to keep everything secret, keep everything in the dark. But the truth is, is that when we say, no, here is where I'm at, here is what I'm dealing, this, dealing with, here is what I've gone through, that we actually also glorify God in saying, and he's bringing me through. Amen? We believe a lie about transparency, that I'm the only one with a shameful secret. Let's create an atmosphere of transparency. Freedom to be open and honest. E, so transparency, team. T is transparency. E is encouragement. Who is in your corner? And who are you encouraging? 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Encouraging words are far more powerful than we think. You, a, a couple years ago, I was at youth camp, and as an adult, I get to go to youth camp, which is great, so much fun. And they have all these excellent op, uh, activities at youth camp, and one of them is a rock climbing wall. And this particular youth camp, uh, we got there, and I was sitting across the field from the rock climbing wall. And you know, when you get into your upper 30s, uh, I'm in my very mu most utmost 30s. There is no more upper that I can go in my 30s as of last week. So I'm in the most upper 30 I can be. And when you're getting your upper 30s, at least for me, I start thinking things like, can I still do that? So I was looking at this rock wall. This is a couple years ago. I'm looking at this rock wall and I'm thinking, can I still climb that? I have no idea. Could I even climb that anymore? I used to be able to climb those. Can I climb it? I probably hadn't climbed a, a rock wall in 20 years. So I was thinking, could I still climb that? And I thought, this week, I'm going to see if I can still climb the rock wall. Now here, you're at a youth camp with, I don't know, a, a few hundred, uh, you know, sixth graders to 12th graders. And so I don't want to embarrass myself in front of them. So I was trying to figure out how I can climb up this rock wall with the harness, you know, all of the embarrassing things about this, without all of the seeing me. So I found the great opportunity. The teens were all playing a mandatory game. They had to play it, so they were over there. But the person who opens the rock wall every day had already opened. So I thought, good, no one's over there except the person running the rock wall. So the least amount of embarrassment can happen. So I grab my shoes, my tennis shoes. I run out there, and the guy's like, you want to climb the rock wall? And I said, I want to try. I have no idea, but we'll see. So, you know, I start going up the rock wall, and it's going pretty well. I'm like, I can still do it. All right. Well, I got about three-quarters of the way up the rock wall, and I'm just stuck. I'm stuck. You know, I have one leg really high, one leg really low, one arm really high, one arm really low, and there's, there's, I just, I don't have another foothold to get to. I don't have another handhold to get to. I don't know where to go from here. I don't have any leverage to get to the next place, and I thought to myself, you know, self, you did pretty good. 
in your late 30s, pretty good. You're mostly up this rock wall. I'm going to come back down now. All of a sudden, behind me, I, so I'm just standing there and I'm about ready to say, I can't do it. Let me down, right? How, how do I get off this rock wall now? And all of a sudden, I start hearing these people behind me, you got this, Bethany. And I think, oh no. <laughs> Who is here? You know, now by now my fingertips are kind of shaking because you're holding onto a rock, you know? Well, a fake rock. It's like plastic or something. So I turn around, and I didn't know this, but the entire uh, activity had gotten done. Now there's a group of teens behind me all sitting there. And, you know, I'm not... Um, uh, vain enough to think they were there for me. They're in line. They want me to hurry up, get off this rock wall so they can, you know, show, show me how it's really done. But there's, and I'm like, oh no, now this is embarrassing. I got to get off this rock wall as quick as I can. But you know what happened? They started saying, you got this, Bethany. You can do it right there. Move your left foot up. You got this. Push. You got this. You got to get to the top. You can't let go. And I'm, now I'm like shaking and I'm thinking, I can't let go. I can't let all these people down. I'm not gonna give up. And so I figured it out. I got that little extra oomph. I got all the way to the rock wall and I rang the bell, okay? And then, yeah, that, that, deserves, that deserves a cheer. You know, it was, it was harder than you think. I'm just teasing. But I got to the top. You know, I would not have. I would have just given up if there weren't people there encouraging me. And you need that same thing in your life. You need people around you that know you, that know what's going on in your life, that know where you're struggling, so that when you're in that place, when you're 75%, almost to the top, but you're ready to give up, you're ready to call it in, you're ready to say, no more, I'm done, I'm done with this relationship, or I'm done with this church, or I'm done with this job, or I'm done with this child, or I'm done with these neighbors, or whatever it is in your life that you're saying, I'm done, I'm ready to give up. You need people in your corner who are saying, don't give up, you're almost there. You're almost to the top. Look at you can't see the top, but I can see the top. And you're so close. Every single one of us need that in our life. And you know what? People in this room need you to be that for them in their life. So not only do we need encouragement, but people need you to encourage them. As a team, we need transparency and we need encouragement. Encouragement is fuel to the fire of hope. You need people in your corner who will encourage you. And people need you in their corner to encourage them. All right, we have transparency, we have encouragement, and the next one is accountability. You need accountability in your life. I'm gonna tell you guys um, a little secret. I, I don't tell people my New Year's resolutions because I don't want them to hold me to them. I'm being honest. Now, I usually, I just say I don't make resolutions. I do in my head. And then I fail them and no one knows. And I don't have to feel bad, except for myself. I feel bad for myself, but at least they're not making me feel bad. So I just don't tell people my New Year's resolutions. How many of you guys made New Year's resolutions? Way to go. Awesome. How many of you guys told someone your New Year's resolutions? Well, and that's, it's important because then you can be accountable for those New Year's resolutions. For me, I purposely avoid that because I don't want someone saying, Bethany, you said you weren't going to eat nine tubs of ice cream a week anymore, right? And I can say, I, I did, but I changed my mind, <laughs> right? I don't want to go through that. We avoid accountability because we don't want to be accountable. But every single one of us needs accountability in your life. Who calls you out on your stuff? Is there someone in your life who can call you out on your stuff? Think about that. Because as we become an adult, 
And it's hard that there's someone who would say, why did you do that? Why are you acting that way? Hey, why are you treating your child like that? Oh, why are you saying that about your spouse? How come you haven't been at church in a long time? Feels like you're drifting away. All of those things. We, we become, as adults, we become very mature, and we don't really have anyone in our life who can call us out on stuff anymore. And then who do you hold accountable? Who in your, li- in your life are you there to say, hey, man, what's going on? It seems like you're not doing super well. Can I help you with something? Do you have people in your life that you can hold accountable? And do you have people in your life that are holding you accountable? Accountability is about seeing people how God sees them and helping them be their best. It's not about having someone who's there to just tell me when I'm doing something wrong. It's not about just getting in trouble. That's a lot of times how I look at it. Oh, I don't want to tell anybody my resolutions because I don't want to be in trouble. No, it's about someone being there for you to say, remember, this is the kind of person you wanted to be. And I see where you're slipping on that way. Can I help you along? I see in you that God has a higher place for you to go. And this, where you're living right now, it's not it. We all need accountability in our life. You know, the opposite of accountability is indifference. Indifference. It means nobody cares. I would much rather have someone coming and saying, Bethany, what are you doing right now? Than people just watching me as I flush my life down the toilet. I want accountability in my life. I want people to be able to say, where are you doing? What are you saying? Where are you going? There's a sad story in the Bible. It's one of King David's sons. And he just goes off and does lots of things. And you can read it for yourself pretty soon on the Bible reading plan. But it's, it's an interesting story because it says, King David never said to his son, what are you doing? Man, that's, that's an incredible lesson for every single one of us. Is there someone in your life who can say to you, what are you doing? What are you doing right now? And do you have people in your life that you can say, hey, what are you doing? You know what that takes? It takes us making space, enough space in our life that we can have a real relationship with someone else, that they can really know us, that we can really know them, so that we actually know when they're going off the rails. So we actually can hear in what they're saying that "Mm, this doesn't sound like you. This doesn't sound like who you want to be. We all need accountability in our life. Be grateful for accountability. Pursue it and offer it to others. I have to move my papers to remember what the T was. Okay, I got it. Transparency. Remember, we're going through team here. We have transparency. We have encouragement. We have accountability. And finally, we have mentoring. Mentoring. Who are you investing in? Or here at Joy Church, we would say, who are you discipling? You know, there's an interesting misnomer about discipleship, that in order to disciple someone else, I already have to be, um, you know, an incredible disciple. But that's, that's really not what it is. A disciple is, is someone who learns from someone else to be like them. So it doesn't mean that they're perfect. It just means that they're learning. So every single one of us, if you're following Jesus, you are a disciple of Jesus. It means you are learning from him to be like him. It doesn't mean that you have to be, you know, level 15 magic user Jesus follower, right? In order to disciple someone else. No, it means I am on this journey of following after Jesus and I just take someone with me. And everything I'm learning, I can help them learn as well. It doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. I decided to learn how to play the cello as an adult. And so I've had two different cello teachers. And my first cello teacher, I took lessons from him for a couple of years. And he was actually a violinist. He wasn't a cello teacher. 
uh, he wasn't a cello player. He wasn't a cellist. And so I would take lessons from him. And as I was progressing in, in my knowledge of cello, and he, he was a great teacher, but there came points where I would ask him cello-specific questions, and he didn't know the answers. And he would say, hmm, I don't know. And I would think, why am I paying you? I'm an adult. I'm not a third grader, right? <laughs> As an adult, you have different standards for your teachers. You're like, hmm, I don't think you prepared for this, right? I'm an adult. I see through you, right? But I, I was like, there was lots of things where he could teach me things, but he couldn't show me things. And then I had a second teacher who is a cellist, an incredible cellist, an incredible cello player. And so he would teach me. And even though my first teacher, I actually, uh, he taught me in person. I was with him in the room. My second teacher, he actually taught me over uh, Zoom or, or Skype or FaceTime or whatever it was. So I wasn't even in the room with him. But I could progress as a learner, as a disciple of being a cellist so much better. Why? Because he played cello. Because I could ask him cello-specific questions and he could answer them. And that's really what having a mentor is. It's someone who comes into your life and they say, I've walked this way. Let me show you how to walk this way. Hey, I've raised kids already. They're pretty good. They're not in jail. So let me tell you how I raised my kids, right? Hey, I've been married for 75 years to one person, the same person. So let me help you in your marriage. Or whatever it is that you're needing mentorship in your life is that you find someone and you say, Hey, you've already walked this way. Can you teach me how to walk this way? But what I'm saying is we disqualify ourselves. And we say, oh, I can't disciple someone else because, you know, I'm not the worship leader or because I'm not the preacher or because I've only been saved for a short amount of time. But you know what? Every disciple of Jesus should be making disciples of Jesus. Every single one of us is told by Jesus to go and make disciples. What does Jesus say before he goes? He says, and teach them everything I have taught you. That's our lesson. That's our goal is that Jesus, everything that you've taught me, I'm willing to teach someone else. I'm willing to show someone else. So maybe in the areas where you've taught me how to pray or you've taught me how to come to church and be regular at church or you've taught me how to serve or you've taught me how to go to joy group, whatever the things are, now I can teach someone else because I'm a disciple of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, imitate me just as I imitate Jesus. That's what it's about. Hey, you can copy me in the areas that I'm copying Jesus. Listen, when you get to an area and you're like, that's not Jesus, that's Bethany, don't copy it. But in all the areas that you see me imitating Christ, you can imitate me. Disciple is learning from someone to be like them. Teaching is helpful, but modeling is huge. I needed a cello teacher to help me learn how to play cello. You need a disciple to help you know how to be a disciple. And there's a lot of people that need you to disciple them. So what, what are our action steps for today? We have three great action steps for you. Relationship is essential. It's not optional. As we, as we heard from the, the Surgeon General, we're literally dying from not being in relationship with each other. So for, for anything else, it will extend your life if you will be in relationship with other people. It's essential. And we have an amazing pathway at Joy Church. We have our joy groups. We talk about them all the time. Why? Because we get, we get um, money for you going to joy group? No, because we know you will grow. 
We know that relationship is essential. We know this is the way that you will be discipled. We know that this is key to your relationship with Jesus. And so that's why we're always telling you to get into a joy group. So right now, our joy groups, they just launched. I'm encouraging you, find a joy group. Find one that you can be part of. Maybe you were in a joy group and you didn't like it. Find a new one. Find your people. Find your community who you can be transparent with, who encourage you, who you're accountable to, who mentor you, and that you can do the same for them. Find a joy group. You know, last Sunday at church, we had about 925 people in all three services, which is incredible. And joy groups, our biggest week of joy groups last year was 249 people, which is awesome. That's amazing. I'm so excited about 249 people being in joy groups. But you know what that also means? 676 of us weren't. That's a lot of people that aren't in joy groups. And don't worry if you're sitting here and you're like, oh no, she knows. I don't, okay? I don't have a list. I don't know your name. I don't know anything about it. But that means the majority of us are not participating in the second part of church. We're about our Sunday gathering and we're about our joy groups. Why? Because you need relationship. And other people need you. Other people in the groups need you. So number one, join a joy group. Maybe you're already part of a joy group, but you, you want to take the next step. You have a, a house or a place where you can have people in your home. Think about hosting a joy group. Think about hosting a joy group in your home. We have joy group leaders, and they don't have a place. So maybe think about, hey, my home, I don't necessarily want to lead it, but I don't mind if you guys meet here. Host a joy group. And the third action step is lead a joy group. If you've been part of a joy group and you love it, man, maybe your, your leader is nudging you for your next step. Now it's time for you to lead one. You can do it. You can be part of this team, this transparency, this encouragement, this accountability, this mentoring. You can be part of it. We were created for relationship with God, and we were created for relationship with each other. You know, I pray at Joy Church that there is no one who is lonely And maybe you're here today and you say, but I am lonely. Listen to the words that we are saying. Open yourself up to relationship with others. Open yourself up to community. Open yourself up. Make space in your life to have relationship with other people. Because we don't want you to be a lonely person at Joy Church. You know, the first thing we talked about was relationship with God. And maybe you're in this room and you say, but I don't, I don't have the first thing. I don't have a relationship with God. This is who Jesus was. This is what we're so thankful to Jesus about is that he lived, he died, and he rose from the dead in order that you and I could have the relationship with God that we were literally created for. This open, beautiful relationship with our creator. And that's what he invites you into this morning. So if everyone, if you would just bow your head, And close your eyes. And if you're in this room and you say, hey, I don't have a relationship with God. I don't know him. I I haven't committed myself to him. I I haven't put my faith in him. I don't even really understand what this is all about. If that's you in this room, we want to pray for you. And we want to pray with you. So would you just lift up your hand? If you're saying, hey, I want to take that first step. I want to have a relationship with God. Just lift up your hand right now. No one's looking around. No one's going to see you. It's just a way for you to say thank you, that I want to take that first step. I want to have a relationship with God. Anybody else in this room right now? Right now we're going to say a prayer. It's not, um, you know, magic words. It's not a perfect prayer. It's just a way. 
for you to verbalize that Jesus is God and that you're putting your faith and your trust in him. So if everyone in the room, if you would just repeat after me right now, dear Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for living for me. I thank you for dying for me. God, I make mistakes. I mess up. Will you forgive me? God, I put my faith in you, in you alone. Help me to live my life following after you, learning from you. In Jesus' name, amen.